I'm Ninja Sista. And I'm Pandalicious. And this is the Ashcast. This is Electric Sisterhood, podcast episode number 619. Destiny left me behind. So I left it behind. This is Electric Sisterhood, home of the original. The fucking original. Girl Gaming Tech Gadget and Anime Podcast. I am Ninja Sister. And I'm Pandalicious. Welcome to a brand new episode of our weekly podcast, Panda. Hi. Girl, how you doing? I'm doing. That's good. That's good. It's always good to be doing. It's always good to be good. And you good, right? Yeah. I'm good. Are you good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. You know, I mean, it's it's cold as hell in Massachusetts. But I mean, but Massachusetts is either cold, wet, or wet, cold, or snowpocalypse. Right, and it's not snowpocalypse right now. So, you know, again, blessings. Hashtag blessed. No, I've just been hanging out, doing some things, hanging out with some peeps, which I don't think Hanging out do, with my family. Which has been dope. So I'm excited to jump back into doing the cast and talking games and stuff because I've been talking like not games and stuff most of the week. And it really like put a hole in my soul. So I feel really good about the stuff to, to talk about today on the show. Hmm. I know I have a full course of things to talk about. I, I got one thing. I, well, I mean, but it's a full one for you because it's a very meaningful one for you. Yes, it is. So I'm going to I'm just going to jump in because I like to run my mouth a lot, as y'all know. Hey, it's, it's 2019. It's New Year. But, but same us. Yeah, same us. So yeah. whatever. It Go is. ahead. Hit us, hit, okay. us with, hit us with one, two time. Well, you know, it is a new year and I figured, hey... I haven't talked about Destiny in a while. <laughs> it's been like a long time since I've talked about Destiny. And longtime fans of the show know I talked a lot about Destiny when Destiny 1 happened. So yes. much so that we actually had to just make a segment and, and restrict me to 10 minutes only of Destiny talk per episode. So I would be forced to do other things and talk about other things. But I haven't talked about Destiny in 2019. And I have a reason to talk about Destiny in 2019 now. So I'm going to do it. All right. So I'll Destiny, allow it. Uh, you, you don't you can't really stop it. So I, I, you're right. You just you just have to endure at this yep. point. As but I still everybody allow else it. listening. I appreciate your permission, though. You're welcome. I recognize it. And I appreciate it. So if you've been following game industry news, you heard the announcement that was made earlier this week that Activision and Bungie would be parting ways. And basically, Activision is no longer partnered with Bungie and will no longer be publishing 
Destiny. Destiny is, and they're in the process of it right now, basically filing out all the paperwork and the payoffs and all those kinds of things. But Destiny will now be self-published by Bungie. Bungie is now an independent developer, publisher, again. Wow. Okay. And so this is big because... Yeah, that's the Bungie team basically threw a big, big fit in order to leave Microsoft Studios after finishing Halo and then 343 picked it up uh, when they left so that they could go and do the other thing they wanted to do. You know, really the widespread thought process behind the split was that Bungie wanted to do other things than just Halo for Microsoft. Microsoft wanted them to just focus on Halo and they decided, nope, we're not going to do it. So they ran out their contract and they left. And then the thing that they, it turns out that they were working towards and wanted to do was Destiny. And so Activision picked it up and said, yeah, we want to publish this. And lo and behold, Destiny 1 was born. And then Destiny 2. Now, Destiny 2 has not performed in the way that Activision really wanted it to. You know, they had their investors call, I want to say, just at the beginning of the year or just at the very, very tail end of 2018. And basically stated that Destiny 2 had underperformed in all categories that they had expected. Now, that's not surprising because sales of Destiny 2 definitely were not at the same level as the original Destiny game when it came out. You know, there were a lot of things that changed from Destiny 1 to Destiny 2. Not as many people bought the expansion packs right off the back or even bought the expansion packs after they published. Uh, Microtransaction activity was down, you know, and, and a lot of things just Destiny 2 while being, I think, ultimately a better game than Destiny 1 was at ship time, not to what it grew to after updates and and DLC packs, expansion packs, whatever you want to call them. But at ship, I do think that Destiny 2 was a stronger game than Destiny 1. Its core campaign, I thought, was actually a better story. You know, instead of putting everything in grimoire cards that hardly anybody actually went to the companion app to read, it kicked off with a story, you know, of of Cade being killed and going after the people who killed Cade. Which, you don't kill Nathan Fillion, motherfuckers, and not have retribution come through the... That's right, you the don't. universe sweeping for you. Which I thought, you know, the Forsaken expansion pack really was, was a great addition on. The Gaul story for Destiny 2, I thought, was good. We actually finished your campaign together and going through the whole thing with Gaul, like we were talking about, you know, what drove him and spoiler alert at the end of the campaign, when you kill him, you know, that you kind of feel just for a second, a little bit for Gaul because you realize that he just really was searching out for somebody to really see him and acknowledge him. And it just drove him to the bad place because of the extent of which he wanted that acknowledgement acknowledgement but it was done really well and the game felt very balanced you know there wasn't any planet that you went to or boss that you went up against that felt way too heavy by the point that you reached them you know even the the side missions that came up 
made sense and felt good. And, you know, the open world multiplayer stuff, you know, all of the events uh, that came in and things like that, they all felt good and weapons felt pretty balanced. Like there weren't as many things that needed to be nerfed to to get to balance in the player versus environment in the campaign mode. I don't play PvP, so I don't like to comment on PvP and and it's just because I've never had a great experience personally in PvP. So that's why I don't play it. But with all those things said, it wasn't as successful as Activision wanted. That being said, there's a couple of ways of looking at it. You know, many of the things that the Destiny community has been very vocally negative about in the game are things that you assume are driven by business decisions. You know, nobody liked the Eververse when it was added. Yep. Because it was like, here we go with the fucking microtransactions. You know, because the game Destiny 1, for a very long time, ran without those microtransactions. And, and I would argue those were happy days. When I didn't feel like weapon mods and skills and cool pieces of armor which all those things do affect your overall player character strength, were behind a paywall. You know, it felt like you could, if you played enough of the open world events and DLC and ran through the campaign, you know, with friends and by yourself, that you could beef yourself up and get some really good random drops, especially if you ran raid, that you could get the cool weapons without having to play PvP without having to buy things behind the paywall. You know, you had a a set of emotes and you have some that you would, you know, discover from running different missions. And then the Eververse came in and then all of those cool optimizations and gear mods and things like that seemed like they fell behind the paywall or excellence in PvP. And Mm -hmm. so a big chunk of the community was kind of left behind. So it didn't matter as much of how much content you put in an expansion pack if the majority of those cool things that we used to just get from grinding or finding a loot cave. Remember loot caves? I remember loot caves. Oh, loot caves were so dope. But those were really cool experiences that made it unique and made the cooperative nature of the game really exciting. And that seemed to slip away with the Eververse, which was basically the in-game store for microtransactions. You know, now you were buying loot boxes, literally, and unlocking them, and many times just getting a shit ton of shaders and a mod for a weapon that you didn't have, so you couldn't use the mod, and maybe every once in a while a piece of armor. Well, that's kind of a shitty pull for a, at times, 5 25 50 or $100 microtransaction, which... I kind of feel like when you go into double digits, it's no longer a micro transaction. Right. Right. It's kind of a macro transaction at that point. You know, there's a lot of people that make the arguments about getting good scrub, and and I, I fully take those because there's a lot of things that I would have gotten my hands on if I had excelled and often good scrub. PvP. Well, in PvP. There's only a certain amount of grind, because there's certain weapons and armor now that you can only get by competing in Iron Banner, which is PvP, player versus player, or doing Crucible runs, which is PvP. Right. And PvP is kind of toxic for me as a black female player. 
I mean, I in think it's games. just. I think there are just some players who are just naturally driven to a more cooperative and not in like a situation that doesn't require them to be too involved. Look, like, if my, I don't like if, PvP just like the next person, I but mean, that's I just because I don't like, like to compete. Playing, I'm not a competitive person. I I don't... I, I like competition, as you well know. Yep. I have no problem with competition. It's not the competitive piece of PvP that I don't enjoy in Destiny. It's the fact that my gamer tag screams that I'm a girl. And so many times when I go into PvP... Destiny is one of those games where you, unless you're doing a free-for-all, you do really want to be on mic so that you can communicate with your team so you can be successful. You know, unless you're doing the free-for-all, like, be the last man standing stuff, which is only two modes in PvP, everything else is team-based, whether it's three-on-three or eight-on-eight, I mean, or six-on-six, you want to be communicating with your team. The difficulty for me is the community still, not all the time, but I would say when I was playing PvP with random people as opposed to people that I knew, I would say that it's no exaggeration to say that 50% of the time I would run into people who would be derogatory in their speech based on my sex or based on my race because my gamer tag makes it very clear that I'm a woman and because it's Ninja Sista... It's very clear to many, many people that I am a person of color. And so I would drop into matches and immediately I would hear people be like, oh, Ninja Sister, that means it's a girl. Look at her KD ratio. Like, it's not really high. And they'd be like, hey, guys, yeah, I don't play PvP all the time, but I'm trying to get that weapon. All right, well, let's see if we can deal with this noob. And, um, like, nobody guarded, though, because, like, if she dies, she dies, which, look at her KD, she's going to die. And, bitch, if you die, like, nobody's coming to get you. You know that, right? Like, that was said to me. Before we even loaded out to start the match. So, I avoided PvP, unless I I had groups of friends that were like, let's jump in because we want to run together. That's the main reason that I stay out of PvP. And I will say that Bungie does do a better job than most of when you would report things and when I would report things of trying to address them, but it's already happened. And if I know that it's going to happen because it's happening regularly, that's what keeps me out of it. You know, I'm not running Iron Banner because I'm trying to be the best and, and get up on the boards and be the leader on the board. I know I don't have the skills to do that. But I'm running those things because I wanted to get this particular handgun or this particular set of armor. And I could only get it if I ran Crucible or if I ran Iron Banner. And because those weren't enjoyable experiences for me, that basically walled me off from ever getting those things. So it's kind of like the, you know, the unobtainable treasure, right? You know it exists and you can never reach it. And it's not because of your skill set. It's because of other circumstances. That leaves a little bit of a nasty taste in your mouth. Yeah, bitter. And so for me, Destiny was always campaign raid driven. And I would only run raid if I ran with people that I knew. For the same reason that I would only PvP if I was playing again with people that I knew. So I could have a trustably comfortable situation. 
Okay, it's, and again, it's not about not having competition because I would get my ass handed to me when we run raids because I, I didn't do my homework, I admit it, and watch videos to see how to run the raids correctly for my class. And then I got schooled by my team of my friends who were like, yo, really, you got to watch these these videos. But like, for now, hunters go here and do this and don't do that. Do you have this weapon? Have you equipped your armor that lets you do this and do this? And there were many times where I'd be like, uh, guys, I'm so sorry. Like, I don't have that armor. I have armor that's close to it that didn't do this. Is that close enough? And it's because I didn't have those other pieces because I wasn't doing PvP stuff or Iron Banner. Like, in my clan one time, I had one guy who was like, seriously, you don't run Iron Banner? I was like, unless I have, like, a full team of people that I know or that I can trust that aren't going to be... Buttholes. Yeah. Like, no, I don't. Just, like, I don't run raid with randos. Because I don't know what I'm going to get. And I want my experience to be positive. You know, I want to run the raid and, and be with a team where I'm like, yeah, like we did that. Like we collaborated and we talked and it was great and we figured it out. And like, yeah, there were times where like, whoops, somebody fell off the map and like we had to regroup. But like we worked through this together as a team and then we beat the dudes and now we got the loots and let's all dance battle. Like that's how I enjoy running raids. And I haven't run a single raid in Destiny 2. My clan fell apart before the raid dropped. Well, didn't they all just run to Fortnite? Uh, yeah, pretty much. They all, all, all of them. And there's like 82 people in my clan. They're all on Fortnite. <laughs> Every time I fire up my PlayStation... Every single one of them is on Fortnite. Like, I I kick-started Destiny right before the new year because I was thinking, ah, maybe I'll go in for the holiday stuff just so I can get, like, the holiday armor. And then I was like, nope, because it's all behind paywall. Fuck it. I just looked like the real and, like, holidays. Seriously, right? But I looked at, like, my roster as, and there was nobody on the clan, nobody in the clan that was playing the game. But I go out to my friends list because pretty much half of the clan I have is actual friends, because I, I know many of them through either other clan members, actually through social, through the community. A couple of them are actually fans of the podcast, which was really cool. I look at my friends list, and, like, they're all playing Fortnite. Or <laughs> Spider-Man. It was Fortnite and Spider-Man. Which, I don't mean, get Spider-Man me wrong, is it. good. I've been watching my husband play it. It you know, is and, good. And I think part of the argument, you know, in, in Activision's defense is when Destiny 1 came out, there weren't a lot of games on the current gen console that were structured like Destiny. You didn't have a lot of space-based shooter MMO. You know, we had already gotten past Halo Guardians, which some people loved, some people hated. Mm, yes. Okay. You know, we were past Gears, and the Skyrim folks were having a good time, but there wasn't a space game ad hoc, massive multiplayer online game. And so Destiny 1 really benefited from the market not being saturated. At the point that Destiny 2 came out, you got Battle Royale everywhere. Everywhere. Which I would argue that one of the draws of Destiny when it came out, was that it was kind of a precursor to Battle Royale because you had so many open-world events. You know, the, you would have the stages where, you know, I would jump into the Cosmodrome on Earth and there'd be a hundred people in an area running through it in different spots. 
And then, you know, an event would drop and and we'd knock it out like it was nothing because there were so many people in that area. You know, that 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 is, you know, Battle Royale. It's just all of us against an environment item as opposed to all of us against each other. Part of the reason why the Crucible blew up so much for Destiny was because it was a very strong PvP option for console gamers at the time. But now you've got Battle Royale everywhere. You've got, you know, PvP in a bunch of different games. You know, the the most recent Call of Duty came out and didn't have a campaign. It was just Battle Royale player versus player, you know. So you have a much more saturated market now at the point that Destiny 2 dropped out that you were due for franchise fatigue. And instead of planning for the franchise fatigue, it seemed like Activision and Bungie doubled down on, well, let's use microtransactions to make up for the ROI that we're going to miss on the player base popping up. Like, at, uh, and I, I can't even remember if it's still up now, but I remember before the holidays hit, like, you could get Destiny 2 for free if you had a PlayStation Plus membership. It was the free game. It, it wasn't was. the game with, right. the, with the, with the um, expansion packs, but, like, vanilla Destiny 2 was free. And even in doing that, they didn't see a huge bump going into holiday on the player base. And I would argue it's because PUBG and Fortnite, Fortnite especially, has eaten up the market for that. Because Destiny is a run and gun game. It's run, shoot, 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 shoot. Open chest, shoot, 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 shoot. New armor, shoot, 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 shoot. Well, that's all Fortnite is. Yeah. And dances. some. I mean, granted, but Destiny had dances too. Exactly. They folded those in. You know, there's a Carlton-like dance in Destiny 2 as an emote. You know? So, like, basically Fortnite and PUBG are the cool part of Destiny, and therefore, they ate their player base lunch. Yep. So, looking at the whole thing, I, I think that it's smart. You know, especially because the the contract, the partnership was up next year. So this wasn't like a nasty gram split. You know, the the contract was going to be up next year. And both parties just agreed that there was no reason for them to continue the partnership. Because the original partnership was that, you know, Bungie was supposed to ship four Destiny games for Activision during their five-year partnership. And we got two. And did we really get two or did we get one and a half? Well, I, I, it depends on which way you look at it. You know, if, if I'm honest the way that I look at it, I think that Destiny 2 was, as far as story, structure, and polish, what the team wanted Destiny 1 to be. Because Destiny 2 was how they pitched and positioned Destiny 1, and it eventually got there after, I would say, House of Wolves dropped, which was one of the expansions. Because every expansion for Destiny was huge. You know, multiple planets were added, multiple new enemies, multiple new guns, multiple new armor sets, multiple new event styles, all those kinds of things. It No expansion was just a small expansion, you know, afterthought add-in, in my opinion. So I, I, I do feel at this point that we've gotten two Destiny games. It took a while for one to actually feel like a full game. Okay. I really don't I really don't feel like one became for me a full game until after the House of Wolves expansion. And I think that's fair to say. I think that Disc Ship Destiny was not a complete game. 
I I would agree with you on that. I mean, I played I've played my fair share of Destiny One and enjoyed it, mm-hmm. and was about was about that rat race for a while. Yeah, we did many a loot cave campout. Mm-hmm. It was good. I times. remember. <sighs> you remember Hawk Moon? I remember. Hawk I remember Moon. Hawk Moon. Oh, you remember Gallahorn. when Gallahorn was the shit? Yep. Oh. And then they nerfed it. Nerfed it to all high heaven. <laughs> Oh, poor little Alfred Gallahorn. I remember. I remember. So good. Oh, that was a good time. That's good. Remember Thorn? Remember Thorn? Yep, I remember Thorn. Oh, I remember my first Thorn. You you never forget your first. No. <laughs> remember, the, remember your first time that you ran raid and won? No. <laughs> I do. I I remember. You. I remember. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> it was so good. I remember which one. Oh, it was the the glass guy. Oh, vault of glass. Yeah, vault of glass. I remember the first time I ran vault of glass, and I had no clue what was going on because I didn't watch any of the videos. So like, I didn't know about the warp areas and Ugh. like the time thing. And so I'm just like, what? And the fuck? I thought we were just gonna beat up on the big guy. And so, like, we died, and, like, before we entered the room, like, literally my whole clan, like, had a powwow where they were all explaining to me what was going to happen and what I needed to do. And they're like, okay, so since you've you've not, like, experienced run through this, this is where we want you to be. This is, these things are going to spawn here. Okay, just take your sniper, take your time, headshots only, okay? And you're just going to sit there. And whenever, like, the, the warps come out, we'll take care of the warps, okay? And I was like, I got it. Put me in, coach. <laughs> Because, like, my thing was, like, I wasn't the type of player to, like, watch people run through the rake. Because I didn't want to just mimic what they did. Like, I wanted to go through and explore and have the experience and, like, learn on the go. And and most of my clans that I was involved with were like, no, no, this is a mission. We're going in. We're going to do the exact extraction. We're all going to get loot. We're going to high five. Roll it again. We're going to roll raid about three times tonight. Everybody good? Everybody already got the bathroom breaks? Okay, great. And I'd be like, yo, Y'all are really serious. Okay, I need to step my game up. This is not just a game. This is business. This is business. Okay. This is business. All right. All right. Then tell me tell me what to do. I can follow directions. Okay? You tell me, sit here, headshot. I'll sit here and headshot. Okay? Somebody's got to run another weapon so I can get, like, some heavy drops from some other places. But I will return to my spot and I will headshot until you tell me otherwise, gentlemen. Let's do the thing. Like, I, I'm go for that. As long as that's relayed in a productive way, as opposed to, bitch, why weren't you headshotting? Did you tell me you needed headshots? Did you, like, you're a hunter. Yeah, not all hunters are really good at sniping. Sniper no sniping. Hunter no snipey. Hashtag not all snipers. (laughs) (laughs) Not all hunters. You know, not all hunters. (laughs) I run ARC. (laughs) I know snipe. (laughs) Like what is this? What is this snipe? What is this snipe? I do not snipe. What is this snipe? Lightning bolt. You know, <laughs> it's like should I do this? <laughs> I can run up to the boss and hit him, and then run away. That is what I can do. Is that what you want? I'll run sword. <laughs> I can go bang bang and hide. I'll do that. You know, like, I, I'm happy to do my role if I know my role and it's communicated really well. But but I didn't have that same kind of setup or experience in playing Destiny 2. And I think that a lot of people 
didn't. You know, again, the story was better. I think, you know, the the frame rates were better. I like the diversity of worlds, you know, the 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 diversity of characters. It's, it it felt like more time was put into creating these other characters, you know, because in Destiny 1 it really didn't feel like a lot was, like you didn't get to know Zavala. No. You didn't really get to know Ikora. And Kate just had personality for days because it was Nathan Fillion. And even if you give Nathan Fillion boring-ass lines, Nathan Fillion's going to make them not boring. I mean, and you don't, you, don't get, you don't get Gina Torres to come on board, and you don't get Firefly back together, and then not, you know... Take advantage of that. And I, I feel like, too, they flipped that around. You know, you had a Zavala backstory and you got to understand some of his motivation and some of the character. I actually like Zavala more after playing Destiny 2 than I did in 1. And the same thing with Akora. Like, you got some emotional things out of there. And then even more Cade. And, and, it, and it's like they let just Nathan Fillion, like, be Cade. And, and that felt better and made it a, a, a better experience. But I think, for me, personally... The force of things being unlocked and having to go through PvP to get some of the cooler things. Like, there were some missions where they were like, in order to get this weapon that I wanted, the last two steps involved me, like, winning a certain number of Crucible matches. Well, that shit wasn't going to happen, so I just abandoned those missions. And I had put in, you know, ten or so hours into doing the first five steps of the seven-step mission, only to finally be confronted with step six of, like, okay, so now you have to run, like, three missions in the Crucible, and you got to win all three. Yeah, oh, fuck, fuck that. you. Right, fuck exactly. That. Exactly. And so then it just became, okay, so great. So I can really only pursue the things that are unlockable, like, in-game. Great. And so I lost interest because there were other games to play. For me, it wasn't Fortnite or PUBG, but it was, you know, Assassin's Creed and Spider-Man and, you know, Tomb Raider. And then I even played a Dynasty Warriors game. Wow. Before I played Destiny. So my hope is that in being able to self-publish Destiny again, maybe, just maybe, there'll be some changes to the overall setup of the game. You know, I don't think Destiny 2 is the end of Destiny. I think that there will be a Destiny 3. I'm not saying that, you know, Bungie getting the ability to to self-publish a game means that that microtransactions are going away. They really can't cuz now they're self-publishing, which means they Now they need more the money. than ever need to be making money. So I don't see the that going away. And I'm not advocating for all armor and weaponry being able to just simply be purchased but i would say as for me as a player i would be open to hey some of these weapon pieces and armor pieces that you can only get in pvp every so often they're going to show up in eververse that you can spread bright dust on or buy and hope that you can get in a blind pack i would be okay with that because then that at least gives me a roadmap to getting those things. And I'm not saying that they have to put an entire armor set in. I'd be okay if, like, hey, in this blind pack, you have, you know, a one-in-whatever shot of getting this piece of this armor that you can o- otherwise only get by running PvP. I don't think that they necessarily need to make stuff that's a, that you get for running raid there, but I do think that making another path to items that you can only get in PvP then makes them accessible and somewhat attainable to those of us who aren't going to live the PvP life. 
And in all honesty, it would probably bring me back to Destiny. I, because I, I haven't, I haven't do, finished I Forsaken. I don't think they have to do too much to get you to go back to Destiny. Well, like, I mean, I haven't, I haven't finished Forsaken. I bought it. I was really excited when they announced Forsaken at E3. I bought it. I haven't finished it. I have not finished the story of Forsaken. Huh. I think I'm maybe like a fifth of the way into the story. Huh. And I, I didn't got, know because that. I, because I got a mission you know, for, for a special weapon and I'm tracing it through all of these things and running through the war mind and all this kind of stuff and I finally got to a step in this mission that was going to unlock a dope weapon and I was like, yep, you got to run PvP and you got to play, and it doesn't have to, and it wasn't even like you had to play like the same three types of PvP. You just had to play three PvP missions and win and I was like, there's no guarantee that I'm going to get on the team and win. I'm like, I'm not going to win in an all for all and at the time, Gambit hadn't started yet. And Gambit was really the only PvP mode that I thought that I might be interested Have in Have a playing. chance to. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not going to win. It's going to take me days to get three wins in PvP, and I'm not going to enjoy it. And I have been enjoying that mission up until that point. So when the joy leaves, I abandon it. So I abandoned that mission. And then I was like, you know what? Probably every other thing. And I was like... Because they're pushing PvP so hard. And I think it's because Activision thought that's where they could win. And they could get back some of the Battle Royale folks. And so they're just pushing PvP so fucking hard. And that's not what I loved about Destiny or why I came to Destiny in the first place. So I just left. I was like, this game isn't for me anymore. It's for somebody else. And so I left it. No. Yep. Left it. Like and and I even killed out one of my who did I kill out? I killed out my original Titan and started a new Titan. And I ran them all up to endgame so that they would be ready for expansions. So I could share, you know, weapons between them. Wow. Like the level cap in the new game is like six hundred. I don't have a single player above like three eighty. Never run any raids. That's like Really kind of sad, bro. Like, right, as addicted to Destiny as I was. Yeah, like, yep. I'm not surprised by the news. I'm hopeful for what it means for the future. And I'm going to be watching what develops, you know, because I think that over the next six months, there's probably going to be, you know, some small changes that get rolled out and then maybe some new ones. And, you know, hopefully at least a, some kind of teaser of what's to come in the Destiny universe. As well as, you know, this now also opens up Bungie to work on other things. Because I'm sure that they probably were in a very similar rhythm as they were when they were at Activision. In that Activision wanted them to solely focus on Destiny and making Destiny better and making Destiny more profitable. And Destiny's probably not the only game that the Bungie team wants to work on. So I think that it does open up the space for them to work on some other titles. You know, they might want to do some things for mobile. Who knows? And, you know, I support that. It also makes me a little concerned because one of the resources that they had while they were at Activision is that they had the help of High Moon Studios and I think Vicarious Visions to help, you know, on development of the game. And now they're not going to have those resources. So... What's in store for the future of Destiny? I don't know. Do I think that Destiny has a future? Yes. Do I want to be a part of that future? Yes. Do I think I'm going to fit in it? I don't know. That makes me sad. Yeah, doesn't it? Just a little? 
Just just enough. Just a tad. Yeah. But, like, I want them to be successful, and I want the game to not necessarily be Destiny 1 again, because I don't, I don't want to shape the game, because I think they really did put some really great things in Destiny 2. But there are just some things that that don't exist in the game anymore that, that don't make it a space for me anymore. And so if those things aren't available in Destiny's future, Forsaken's probably where I'm going to end my Destiny journey. Wow. I'm still a fan of the franchise, and I'm still a fan of Bungie, but, like, I have not played that game probably for about five or six months. That says a lot, actually, especially for you. Yeah, no. And and this year, like, is no slouch on games. Like, Devil May Cry is right around the, around the corner. Dead or Alive 6 is right around the corner. Kingdom, Kingdom Hearts 3 right. got delayed a week. Who did? I, who saw that coming? Yeah, you did. I was. I did. I, was, I called I it. Gonna, I was going to mention it. You was right. You said it, and it happened. You it were happened. Right. But it's like, still around the Enix, corner. Get the fuck up. Okay, it's just down the block now. It's a block down around the corner as opposed to just like on the corner stop now. So you got to go to the corner and then you got to turn left and go Mm. down a block and then there it is. (sighs) But it's right around the corner down the block. Okay, Devil May Cry. Dead or Alive. Jump Force. Like there's a lot of games coming and I don't see myself right now jumping back into Destiny. And it sucks, too, because, like, a lot of my friends, like, I, I look at them, my my Xbox friends, they're all, at like, at the cap or better, running ragged on, on PvP, and I'm like, oh, It's like, guys. But I don't want to buy the game again on a different platform and spin it up. I'm just not motivated. Oh. No, 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 no. No. <laughs> All right, so that's one of the things I wanted to bring to the table. I'm actually going to shut up and let you bring one of your things to the table, and then I'll end on my other thing. I mean, I only have one thing anyway, but... I know, but you're, you, you, all you got is one mic. Yeah, you're right. We know, and I, I always say it this way, but we know that I'm a, I'm a horror fanatic. Like, I enjoy horror games, I enjoy... You know, watching horror movies and, you know, picking apart its narrative. Like, that's just kind of where I sit most days, all day. And we know I lost my shit when we got Resident Evil 7 because it was a nice return to basics, even though a lot of people like to, you know, note that 7 doesn't feel like a Resident Evil game right off the bat. And it come, it does come off a little bit more Silent Hilly with its atmosphere more than a traditional, you know, biohazard, which is what Resident Evil is called in Japan. Yeah. However, this is the new year, and I think that our last episode we were talking about, you know, the 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 element of games getting, you know, remakes and getting, you know, the upgrade on the visuals and, you know, or like getting a whole new adaptation under under a franchise's name. And um last year at E3's 2008, we actually saw um Capcom show one of these remakes that they were working on, which is Resident Evil 2, which the initial game came out in 1996. So some of you guys who are listening to this were probably just born when this game came out. And I mean, I didn't play it until, I want to say, I didn't play it until 98, 99. But 
it was the game that really kind of shifted for me that games don't have to be platformers collecting rings, being a you know blue hedgehog or a golden fox, and you didn't have to go after chaos emeralds. And games can be so much more than that, and could really guide someone down a totally different path than they ever thought they'd ever go on. So when I first heard that they were doing a remake of Resident Evil Two. I was just like, all right, so they're just going to upgrade the graphics, which, hey, like, I'm not against that with the capabilities that we have now. Like, that's fine. But they were alluding that they were actually going to change a lot of the core mechanics from the original game to make it feel more modernized. So I was like, what exactly are they doing? Because, I mean, there was a lot of things that Resident Evil 1 and Resident Evil did, Resident Evil 2 did that solidified it as a type of game. Like, it had its own engine. I mean, it got its new engine with 7, the RE engine, that they got all boosted up and all that stuff. So, what can we expect from this new adaptation for Resident Evil 2? Well, one, we're getting it at the end of this month. So, January, I think, 25th is when we are getting it. You will actually, if you happen to be one of those lucky individuals who's living on, you know, an Xbox 4 Pro or an Xbox One X, there is a 4K resolution capability for you. So, you know, if you thought 7 looked really good, and I mean, it does, then apply that aesthetic with your your PS4 Pro. 7, um, very spooky. I mean, 7... <sighs> Seven was it's good. It's good. Yeah. But I, like I watched several people on the YouTube during the daytime in the light play through it, and it looks like a rock solid game. But it's very spooky. Well, that's the whole point. But I mean, it's spooky. But if you go, if you go back, and if you're, you know, if you're a Resident Evil enthusiast, like I like to consider myself to be, you know, it. it the first, I want to say, the first ten hours of the game aren't really. Resident Evil-y, because, you know, like, yeah, you got a creepy house in the bayou, you know, it, it does come off more Silent Hilly, and that's fine, because that yes. that is also a really good game in the genre that really elevated the narrative setting space and really allowed you, uh, brought immersion and horror and suspense all together at the table in a non-contrived way, which was good. Um, so I think, you know, Capcom was smart enough to go, you know what? Why not properly homage that that concept? Because we haven't had a, a decent Silent Hill game in for a very long time. So they slapped on a new coat of paint, and so we're so you're getting that. You are also taking a step away from the sound design from the original game because a lot of the camera angles were static and didn't move, and you would get sound cues that came from a fixed source. And you now aren't going to get that. You're going to get full immersion in your sound now because it doesn't it doesn't make sense now with the capabilities that we have to to have the sound design come from like a mono stoic area. Mm -hmm. They also did some obviously some creative redesigning of some of the characters because, I mean, back in the original 1996 days, you know, our lovely Leon Kennedy rocked some pretty big shoulder pads when he was still a rookie cop back in Raccoon City, and they're actually taking away... They're not taking away that aspect. They're not fully just slapping a 
paint over it. They want this to have a totally different feel. And they really wanted to crank up the horror of this. Because, I mean, the thing about Resident Evil 2 was you had two discs back in 1996. You had the Leon mm -hmm. disc and you had the Claire disc. And you weren't sure when you played them if the two stories would ever intersect. Because if that's the case, why didn't they put them on, on the same disc? And I think that there's there's a different reasoning for that because I think they were trying to play up on the whole two, two characters, one girl, one boy, like that kind of element, and that's fine. But you actually find out while playing it that their stories are happening in real time at the same time. So things that would happen in Leon's disc that were like, oh, well, that's really weird that that's happened and I can't get into this room. Well, when you finally load up Claire's disc, which would at intervals tell you to take out the Leon disc and put in the Claire one. So there was this physical recall of the events happening for the player you know, and you'd find out that, you know, Claire was running through that area maybe an hour before Leon got there. And the things that she did is what's now hindering him from doing things and vice versa. So, like, the elements that are happening in both stories are contingent and rely and piggyback off of each other, which was really kind of interesting because then when they finally do meet up, like, one, they never really address it. But you as the player are like, oh, my God, this whole time we've been setting them up. And, like, you know, we've been setting them up for this victory or for this twist and for all this stuff. And it and it made a whole lot of sense. Obviously, I don't think we're going to get that homage with this because, one, the capabilities are just way too good now for us to resort to that. So I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. But at the same time... They really sat down, all the heads over at Capcom, and they were trying to figure out how to make zombies terrifying again. Because, you know, now we're in, our society now kind of looks at a zombie kind of like a cute, cuddly, undead puppy. Because they're just all over well, the place. We have such a high saturation of them in the genre, and even not even in the horror genre now, right, that, you I know... Walking Dead definitely affects... It because you know if you say zombie anything, for most people, even if they don't watch the show, that's the first thing that's going to come to mind is the the prominent zombie thing is Walking Dead, and that definitely frames things a little bit differently. But you also have zombies being framed very differently in anime. You know, you do like now in anime you have zombie girl groups that are pop idols, and like the horror aspect of a zombie is like it's ubiquitous. It's like it's no longer it no longer has the gravitas that it had back in the Night of the Living Dead or, re, you know, Reanimator or, mm -hmm. like, it doesn't it doesn't have that same connotation. So now it's like, how do we revitalize that? It's like a PR person's worst nightmare. Like, zombies are trying to make a, a horror comeback and the PR team's like, fuck, what, what do we do? Make the zombies scary again. <laughs> like, how how does one do? How do this? I don't know how to how, do how, this. How, how to do this? So, I mean, they're playing a lot with, you know... Because, I mean, the thing about Resident Evil 2 was... Or rather, I think the element was better established in 1. Because you had you had the layout of the room. And you couldn't see all the angles because of the camera. And you had a fixed point. So, literally, you'd walk in and it'd be an overhead shot of you, your character walking in. And you couldn't see the whole room. And all of a sudden, there'd be a zombie, like, munching on you. And, like, they're, they're going back to those elements, which I really liked from the original game. And we have seen them take this new engine and apply it to Resident Evil 1. 
But, I mean, they didn't do anything new to that narrative. And I think they're going to take some narrative variations in two, which I'm looking forward to playing. Because, like I said, it's a game that sits really close to my non-undead heart. And I would, there's so many things that coming out of that game that I had been very curious about, like, as an, you know, a young kid, like, oh, I wonder what ever happened after that. Or I wonder if they're ever going to address this. And I mean, granted, in most cases, those were all one-off stories. So they really didn't have any play. They never, you know, reached back or they never gave clarification to X because it was always just one circumstance that evolved this other virus. And it was never the same virus, which I never exactly understood because it was always the same big bad with an umbrella. And it's like, so Umbrella had like five different viruses all running at the same time and they all fucked up shit. Like that someone did not effectively manage their their time well, in my personal opinion. But, you know, at the end of the day, like we we have seen this this stalemate happen in this genre since seven. And I mean, like I said, seven is quite a nice pinnacle because, I mean, six was shit. We there are many shows that we have where I've ranted about how shitty six was because it was just a complete deviation from its well-established formula and tried to be more gearsy and they took all the fear out of it and just made it this watered down fake nod to this trailblazer in the genre which was just disgusting and I think now that they realize that they can go back to all of that good if we got three, which I mean, three was not my favorite. Once again, I've I've talked very highly about how Jill didn't have to be in a miniskirt and a blue tank top with a rocket launcher fighting the tyrant. Like, it didn't make any sense, like, why she was in her party gear. Like, why couldn't she have been in her riot gear, which would have made far more sense. Because, like, the devastation of Raccoon City at the point that she's in there is clearly not just a regular day where shit went bad. Like, it's been bad for a while, and she's been, like, you know, fighting it for a while, and she should appear like she's been fighting it for a while. So I didn't understand the direction with that. But I'd love if this goes off well, which there's already a a timed demo that you can play. It got released on the 11th, so that was like last week. And there's been a lot of people who've been playing this timed demo, and literally it gives you 30 minutes, and it doesn't allow you to repeat, repeat your playthrough, which I think is a really interesting concept that once you play it, like, it locks itself and you no longer have access to play that anymore because they kind of want to give you this, this is the immediate, this is what's happening right now, you only, and and it's named One Shot, which I actually also really like because it gives yeah. you the, the element that you only get one shot to do this right until the game comes out. Like, what will you do with your one shot? That's actually brilliant. It's absolutely genius and brilliant. And I mean, granted, for those of us who live the completionist life for games that have multiple routes and tracks and stuff like that, we're so conditioned as gamers that, oh, you know, if I die, I can just restart it and do it over. And I like that this demo is like, uh-uh, no. Like, that's it. And I mean, I think, and that was kind of the element of suspense and fear that Senua's sacrifice was doing. Because, like, they kind of alluded to, and I mean, we've talked about Senua's sacrifice on this show before where like they give you this element that you know this thing is completely corrupting you and if you fuck up one too many times like that's it however after people played the game because you know people were far more cautious while going through that game because they stipulated that this thing was you know was going to happen if you were not careful and didn't plot everything out 
And um, actually, there are some people who went after the fact that they completed the game and then went and purposely, like, got Senua continuously hurt and knocked out to see if it would actually consume her, and it and it doesn't, which I think plays a totally another element to the whole, like, concept of, like, mental illness mm-hmm. and, like, the power that it has over a person's mind and a person's senses as to what's real and what's not. So mm-hmm. like that game was also just genius. But I yes. mean that's that's not what I'm talking about. Shout out to Ninja Theory. At the end of the day, with this game coming out, I think this is gonna be a nice way they're gonna do this game justice because the elements that they're changing I think are for the better. So I like I said that they used to have fixed cameras and now they're actually gonna do like this over the shoulder camera design so like you're not fully aware of everything in the room like it's not going to be you know things from behind you anymore because you always always kind of had the camera behind your character you know so you could never really see what was in front i hope in true resident evil fashion that we do get the the doors and if not all of them because i know they did it in seven where not all the doors operated the way that we're used to them operating in resident evil games but they did finally have one that did it and you're like oh the sweet easter eggs like there's there's so much opportunity for them to properly easter egg things to revitalize the the general consensus and the general demographic of the game and then if this goes well i'd love to see them bleed into three and give three the much needed facelift and like story restructure that it it deserves so i have to ask the question Yes. Did you take your one shot yet? No, I have it. I have it on my on my PS4, ready to go. Because I mean, like, it's given me such animosity, and I've only watched one person play it, and they and they didn't animosity even make it. or an, or anxiety. Both. No, no. Why are you I, mad? I got anxious. I got anxious. I was very anxious because, like I said, I didn't want to go into it knowing, like, I didn't want to watch so many people do it and then feel like I have to replicate that. But I uh-huh. wanted to get an idea of what I was going to see. So I watched somebody play it. I'm trying to remember who it was that I watched. But they didn't do well, and they actually, like, died in it. So it locked, it locked them out because there's no replays. So, you know, like, I like that it was that it was so cutthroat and I appreciate that. So it's like, legit like you got one shot not to die, not you got one 30 minute shot. No, you have one, one shot. You know, and I mean like the mechanics are still very similar. Like it's not, it's not that unforgiving, but it definitely is like, hey, we're expecting seasoned veterans of the franchise to come through on this and if you're not familiar with this you're going to make a mistake and it's going to be costly you know so like there's that even though I'm a veteran I haven't played in a long time and I mean I did play seven but seven is completely a different format and form than Resident Evil 2 is I got so good with two that I was doing speed runs of two and, like, and I was doing knife runs where I would only, like, I'd play Claire and I would just slash with my knife, which is stupid, but fun. <laughs> like, it's the most stupid thing in the world. And, you know, I, th- I don't think games now really give players that option anymore. The art of the speed run has become, like, this innate fine science. And, like, you don't get golden eye, you know, shoot 'em ups where, like, 
you both have the golden magnum and it's a one-shot kill or it's like the knife fight where like you go into the snow level in golden eye and just stab people just just cheat and be odd job right but i'm just saying that like (laughs) you don't these things don't really happen anymore like in games and if they do they're so niche and small in the grand scheme of things that, you know, like, you, you kind of miss out on that. And, I mean, that was one of the things that I really liked about Resident Evil 2. Is like, it was, I think Resident Evil 2 was the first game that I actually really, like, heard about speedrunning and what people were doing for that and, and all of that. So, I'd love to see them somehow do that. And I think some people have been trying to speedrun this time demo, but I don't think too many have been super successful in it just yet. I'm going to play it. I'm going to take my one shot. I'm rusty, so I can't see this going very well, unfortunately. That's just kind of the whole point is it plays back to the title, you know, that, you know, evil, there's evil resident everywhere. Like, it's not just this excluded area and Area 51 or wherever. Like, horror is around us all the time. And we just, we're waiting for that catalyst to usher it in. I'm picking it up. I'm getting this game on the 25th of the new year, and I'm jumping into a classic with a fresh coat of paint, and I'm I'm ready. Well, I mean, that sounds dope, especially when, when you know, things, games from your past can be kind of, I don't want to say lipsticked on the pig, but refreshed in a way that it's not just a port. You know, right. I think that's, that's one of the things that I've become really mindful of is... It's not just enough to have a port of an old game. You know, it's nice, but I want a little bit new experience in the old way, if that makes any sense. It it makes 100% sense. I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, like, I have a lot of hopes for the Battletoads game. And I, my biggest hope is that it's not just a port of the old Battletoads game. That it is Battletoads Plus, right? Right. And so I don't have that same nostalgic love for Resident Evil that you do, but I do have respect for both the Silent Hill and Resident Evil franchises because there's a a lot that they brought to the game genre. You know, I, I both games made suspense and scary. I on think different I think they really okay. de- they really defined mm-hmm. what suspense versus outright horror is. You yeah. know, and it really it really defines suspense and horror as shep- as separate elements to the franchise, and that they could both be successful. Successful, absolutely. You know, because up until those games, pretty much everything was you know puzzle, platformer, action. You know, mm-hmm. it, there there wasn't a lot of suspense. I think probably for me, the first game that had suspense in it that I recall playing was Perfect Dark. Right. Yes. As I date myself, right? That's okay. Because <laughs> I never played alone in the dark because I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't play in the dark, so therefore why... We, why? <laughs> we don't go to there. <laughs> Got it. I'm, On I'm this reading side of the loud podcast, and clear. We don't go to there, right? But I, I really do enjoy suspense. You know, the things that I enjoyed about the, the Tomb Raider reboot was the suspense that they brought into the game. And and not just the solve puzzle, get loot, repeat. You know what I mean? Right, um, yeah. 
and and so it's just really interesting for me again as you know not an avid fan but a respectful fan of the franchise to see to get this refresh because I'm I'm hesitant to call it a reboot because it's not completely redesigning the game or the characters and it's not just a port it, it no, doesn't really feel it's, like it's a, got, a refresh. It's, it's being enhanced. It's being modified yeah. to be far more modern and translatable. Like I think, for it to sit well with how things work now in the gaming, like the expectation of what the player has of what a game should kind of be, and and that's what I'd like to see more of. Is I'd like to see more refreshes of you know, games like that. You know, I'd I'd love to see Sly Cooper get a refresh. I think Oh my god, yes. Sly Cooper is one of those franchises that, you know, people kind of slept on a little bit, but it was very clever. And I think in, you know, today's climate, when you look at how successful, you know, the Spyro reboot and the Crash Bandicoot reboot were, that there's space for Sly to come back. However, I would like it to be cross platform. Because can you imagine Sly Cooper on Switch? Yes. I mean, I actually think that that's... I think I think that is kind of like... I think the next, the next shift in the gaming atmosphere is going to be this cross-platform, cross-pollination. Like, now it won't matter what console you're on, and it won't matter if you, you know, you throw all your money into having all three consoles, you know, it will be able to kind of definitively put the line in the sand because it won't matter. I think you're, you can see that for third party, but I don't think you'll see that for first party. Like, I don't think you'll ever see Kratos on an Xbox or a Switch. No, I don't. Like, that's, that's not going to happen. I agree with you Same on that. I Master don't believe Chief. that will happen. Same thing with Mario. Like, that's not going to happen. because you, you No, because those are all flagships for those, right. for those systems. That but makes for, sense. But third party, you know, I think that there's always more opportunity to be out on more platforms and to bring some of your... You are, I would say now, golden oldies up for the newer generation that is is playing now. That didn't get to play the games the first time out. They were out on their consoles. So I'm hopeful to see more of it. I will not be purchasing. Uh, <laughs> I knew you wouldn't be. But that really wasn't a question ever in right. anyone's mind. Nope. Definitely um, wasn't in mine. <laughs> But I am looking forward to hearing you talk about playing it and probably coming over to your house and watching you play some. I mean, or I could just stream it because I'm going to get it from my PlayStation 4 and I'll be yeah, able to you stream it on stream. Twitch. You should probably stream it on Twitch. You should do that. All right. So the last thing that I'm going to end the show on is actually on a not scary and positive tip. Okay. Because Resident Evil is spooky. Is a good spooky, but it's still spooky. As you guys know, uh, I've made mention of this before. I am an Xbox MVP. And earlier this week, the newly revamped MVP site launched on Xbox. So you can go to mvp.xbox.com and learn more about the Xbox MVP program and actually see all of the MVPs that are uh, currently in the program across the globe. And and first, I want to give a shout out to the team behind organizing it because it's been a labor of love getting getting the site updated. But it's just, it's a gorgeous site now. And I'm really excited because a project that I was involved in uh, to create a, a video introducing the, the MVP program has actually gone live. So if you uh, watch the 
website. You can check out the video if you are subscribed to the Xbox channel on YouTube. You actually saw the video. I was really excited to actually see that they placed it as a a top video earlier in the week. Uh, And there are a bunch of various MVPs from the program actually in the video talking about the program, the people that are in it, why we do what we do, a little bit of what it is that we do, which is great. And I'm just excited to see that there's so much more focus being put on the program because not a lot of people know what the MVP program is. So just really quickly, the program was designed to bring together some community leaders from various parts of the gaming community. So there are people from different continents that are running communities. And and by that, I mean, not just websites, but, you know, hosting community events or their local resource for all things gaming, let alone just specifically Xbox, people who are doing things within the community to better the community, whether that's representing different parts of the community, speaking for them, hosting events, doing charitable work, giving of their time and volunteering, the people who are selected as MVPs, it really has nothing to do with the amount of time that we spend gaming or how many systems or peripherals we own or what our gamer score is. It's really about the things that we do out in the world that reflect positively on the Xbox gaming community and uplift the community. To this day, I don't know who recommended me for the MVP program, but I'm fairly certain that I was recommended because of this podcast and doing this podcast with Panda. You know, at the time that we launched this show, it was the only audio podcast, and I think at the time, the only podcast out that was focused on video games, anime, and tech gadgets that was founded and hosted by black women. And that was really important for both of us because we were first and foremost fans of all of these things. And there weren't any shows or any websites or any places that we could go where we were represented. Like at the time that we were formulating the, well, I was formulating the plot for what would eventually become Ash, we were big fans of Dignation. And This Week in Tech. And, you know, nothing against those shows. Those were great shows. We enjoyed Dignation. I remember when we bought our matching Dignation shirts. But everything out there that was shows talking about reviewing video games and anime were all primarily white dudes. And there's nothing wrong with white dudes. Why, some of my closest friends are white dudes. Mine too. But that's not representative of me and my interests and it's nice to see people who look and sound like you and and that you have a familiarity with and can relate to talking about those things that you love you know blurred wasn't a word and if it was a word it wasn't a positive word in our first few years of doing the podcast and you know we we i remember doing the all games interview and and we got it because primarily scott who was running all games at the time was really not believing that we were game fans, that we knew our our shit when it came to games and anime, that, you know, we, we were kind of pretenders to the throne. And, and I, you know, we ended up with our relationship with all games because we proved no. Like, we laugh a lot and giggle a lot, but we're gamers. We we know our shit. We, we love the community. We love anime. Like, I know no person who knows the Sailor Moon world better, deeper, and more nerdily than you. Uh, they're out 
out there. <laughs> I know they're out there. I said, I don't know them. Okay, I no. know they're out there. But at the time we started the podcast, like, you were my repository for all things Sailor Moon. Which I find funny because you were the first one to ever watch it. <laughs> I know. I watched it on Toonami, but, like, I didn't go and search out the manga. I didn't go out and search the, the other... You know, I didn't go through S and all those things. Those those were all new to me. And, you know, the passion that you would speak about Sailor Moon or Orin House, uh, Orin uh, Host, Club, Host Club, you know, was was infectious to me. And and so we would talk every week about these things. I'd talk about tech gadgets and stuff going on that I was doing computer-wise and, and video games that I was playing. And you'd tell me about all this anime stuff and we'd crack each other up and we'd crack everybody in the room that was listening to our side of the conversation talk up. So we decided to do the podcast. Like that's how it happened. And it was a beautiful thing. And and the reason why we are named what we're named is specifically because we wanted to represent that we were black women who were related to each other that really digged on this electronic entertainment industry. And it was about representation. Like the plan was never to like, overtake Kotaku or Destructoid or any of those guys. The plan was simply to exist and to represent this piece of the community that we knew existed, but just didn't have a face or a voice. You know, and now, 13 years later, you've got Black Girl Nerds and you've got Andre Black Nerd Meadows and you've got, you know, Pretty Brown and Nerdy and, like, all these other shows, content creators, websites that have popped up that are building communities around them, and it's great to see. So I'm fairly certain that that's the reason why I became an MVP and was accepted into the program, because the the whole thing is you're nominated, and then you're reviewed based off of your contributions to the community and, you know, the things that you've done and, you know, the the way that you present yourself out in public. And I've been blessed to have been renewed multiple years as an MVP. And, you know, I continue to do more things in the communities. You know, I, I speak at events and, you know, we, we haven't hosted a community event in a while. We hosted a party at PAX East a while back. We well, co-hosted a party. We're working on doing some more panels at some other events this year and going to more events. And again, just continuing to represent and be a voice for just this this small little niche piece of, of the community. But it's important work to do so that, you know, the kids behind me and the kids behind you can see people that, you know, look and sound and are as nerdy and goofy as they are but passionate and love these things and and that be accepted and be okay and and be proudly prominent in the community. But there are a lot of great people that are MVPs. You know, Zach Weigel, who I absolutely adore as a person who is the founder of Gamers Outreach, which does a lot of work. They create go-karts, which are basically, uh, if you've ever seen in a children's ward in a hospital, those game carts that are uh, game systems and monitors and controllers all built in one. He raises money all year long through his foundation to build those carts and donate them to children's hospitals across the country and now in Canada. Zach doesn't have a huge gamer score, but he's a huge gamer and has a huge heart. And so, you know, there's a lot of different diverse people in the group. There's, you know, some content creators in there and some streamers and some influencers who, you know, do charity live streams and things like that. There's there's a lot of really interesting, diverse people in the program. And I'm I'm just really thrilled to be part of it. And I'm especially excited to see 
Microsoft focus on promoting the program because for the longest time it's kind of been like this if you're in the know you know about it but you you don't really know about it and they're really focusing on shining a light on the program and trying to build and find even more MVPs to bring into the program because they know there are a lot of people that are doing great work in the community to support uplift all of us um, together. So I say all of this to say one of the things that is now live on the mvp.xbox.com website is the nomination form. So you can actually nominate anybody that you know of that is deserving of being in the program, who's doing great work, you know, in the community. And there's all things that are outlined as far as what we're looking for to bring into the program. If you know anybody that meets the criteria, please nominate them. And because we're, we're really looking to expand this program and bring in even more diversity and representation and new voices and, you know, highlight those people who are already giving of themselves in the community. So whether it's volunteering and doing fundraisers, live streams to donate to charity, volunteering your time, going into schools to speak, you know, take a look at the website and the criteria. And if you know anybody that meets it, please, please submit them. I would love, love for the program to just bolster and for there to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of us MVPs across the globe. So check out the site, check out the video, uh, especially if you've never checked out our YouTube and you're curious as to what I look like. It's on there. So please, please check it out. That's really all I've got for this week. Uh, it's been a good good week in in games and whatnot. So if you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. You can find our podcast link on our website, electricsisterhood.com. You can see the podcast directory. Check out all of our previous episodes. Get the RSS link to subscribe. Or you can get our podcast either through iTunes on your desktop or through the podcast application on your iOS device by searching for the S-Cast and subscribing. You can also find our podcast on Stitcher Radio. We're on bognetwork.com as well. And pretty much any other podcast aggregator that you could use on the planet, you can search for and more than likely find the S-Cast. If you enjoyed our show, please make sure that you check out all the other great content creators that are part of our network. That includes our homie King Baby Duck over at b3crew.com. His bi-weekly podcast show, No Borders, No Race, where he spins some great music from artists that you probably don't know but definitely should get to know and learn a little Japanese along the way. You can also check out our homie Hamsterman2049 streaming live on Twitch. He's on hiatus right now because he's been in Japan, the lucky so-and-so, but he's coming back and will be streaming live Wednesday nights at 9 Eastern on his Twitch channel. You can find out what he's going to be playing on his website, smashedrook.com. One of my favorite humans on the planet, Phil the Issues Guy with Phil's Recap and Review on YouTube. Subscribe, check out his archive. You can be part of the show live when he's running recaps. His Westworld recap is one of my favorite series on the web to watch of all time. And you can also catch him doing some live stuff now on Twitch and get the link for his channel at his website, issuesprogram.com. And then last but certainly not least, our homies over at Nerd Crave, keeping you up to date with all the stuff that nerds crave, whether it's comic books, anime, manga, movies, 
Video games are more. If it's nerdy at all, the nerds over at nerdcrave.com are talking about it. So please make sure that you bookmark all of our sites, that you check out all of our content, that you visit us on our social handles and let us know if there's something you want us to review or get our opinion on or if you just want to shout out or want to say hi. You can hit us up on Instagram at ESH News. Please give us a like and a follow. You can find us on Twitter at ESH News. Do the same thing over there. And, of course, we are on Facebook, facebook.com slash Land of Esh. So with that, it's time for us to wrap it up and get out of here until next week. As always, I am Ninja Sister. And I'm Pandalicious. Until next time, folks. Titties. Titties.